Welcome to Diffuse Congruence. This is episode 79 of the American Muslim Experience. My name is Zaki Hassan, and I'm here with Pervez Ahmed. Hey, welcome uh, listeners, and welcome live audience. We've actually done uh, a spat of like live recordings more recently, which is really so unusual. All our recordings are live. This is true. This is true. But well, we just got back from a road trip in Michigan, where we had some live recordings, in, i.e., in front of a live audience, um, and not just with a live guest. And, and we spent four hours on the road with each other, yeah. and we're still here. Yeah. So that's we made it. That does say something. Yeah. We, 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 can still stand, we can stand to work with each other. <laughs> The quintessential odd couple, and if we are the odd couple, who's Felix and who's Oscar? Oh, you're Felix. Oh, okay. You're for sure. So we've settled that. But anyway, um, we're you super excited. Felix. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> unabashedly. Um, but um, uh, yeah, we're super excited because uh, not only are we here at Talib Collective, now we've recorded unofficially at Talib several times. You're right, yeah. But this is the first time that we have the distinct pleasure and honor of being a collaborative sort of effort this evening with Talib Collective, so shout out to Talib, and uh, full disclosure, I serve on the board of this wonderful organization, so I, I did do a little bit of hand twisting, arm twisting to make this happen, so, but again, thank you to all those involved for making this happen, and thank you for our guest this evening, who is? Uh, we are joined by Zainab Ismail, who was born and raised in New York City. She worked as a celebrity trainer for years before converting to Islam and beginning her work Fit for Allah, which takes on prophetic traditions regarding health, medicine, and food, and melts them with fitness practices. Zainab Islam, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Assalamu alaikum. Alaykum Thank you so much. And uh, all the way from the East Coast. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. All yeah. that. So it's funny because one of the guests that we did record with in, uh, in uh, Michigan was Dr. Suad Abdul Khabir, who was also from Brooklyn. So, oh, mashallah. Yeah, and Brooklyn sisters represent. So uh, that's great. We're really excited. And uh, I guess, you know, for those who listen to the show, and I know uh, Zainab, you shared with me that um, you do, you, you've heard a few of the episodes, so you kind of know where we like to start things off, which is tell us your origin story, uh, where you hail from, uh, your background. We'd love, to, we'd love to hear about that and start there. Okay, so. Let's take it back to the Bronx. Um, raised originally in the Bronx, and I moved to Brooklyn. Uh, pretty much the rest of my adult life was in Brooklyn. I come from being a born and raised New Yorker, typical Bronx, Brooklyn. I lived my life to the fullest of the Dinga capacity. I was a celebrity personal trainer and nutritionist. I was a national level fitness competitor. I was in Hollywood, Las Vegas, Miami, Hamptons, that was the routine, until suddenly something happened and I said, this is just not enough anymore. And then Islam came into my heart. Uh, it was back in 2009. I was traveling again, you know, straight out of a video. Uh, white parties, the private jets, the celebrity parties, the celebrity athletes, you name it. And then there was just something missing. Even though I was born and raised Catholic, uh, I'm New York, Puerto Rican, and there was just something still like, I don't know, it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. Would you say up until that point that faith or Catholicism was a big part of your life, or was it sort of more of like being a cultural Catholic at that point? 
I think, I mean, I still was very practicing. However, there just was never any like real life direction or like there was no what you needed to do or in a certain situation, how do you handle this? There was, you just, it was the Ten Commandments and you showed up on Sundays and that was kind of it a couple of other times throughout the year. But like when you were struggling with anything, you really didn't have anyone to go to. Now, I should, I should also, also mention that, I mean, we are recording on Easter Sunday, so certainly, I guess Easter was certainly a big part of that. Yes, no, definitely. I uh, made sure uh, at some point today to uh, send Happy Easter to my family. Yeah. I mean, most of my family is not really Muslim-friendly. Uh, let's see, I think my grandmother didn't talk to me for two years, Elayah Hama. Uh, she's no longer with us. And, you know, my father's a born-again Christian pastor evangelical Christian from Orlando, Florida. So his politics and choice of, uh, you know, emphasis on the way he uh, practices his religion doesn't exactly agree with mine, but he does tell me he'll pray for me to come back to Christianity. Right, wow. Um, so I guess, I mean, so much to unpack there. We, you know, it's one of the things we do like to do on the show is unpack. Um, but I guess first question, you know, apart from sort of your religious uh, framework and sensibilities, you know, get, you know, and what led you to Islam. Definitely want to talk about that, but I guess uh, in terms of a career choice, like fitness, and was that always sort of a part of your Oh, life? no, no, no. Um, I mean, I guess because I graduated from high school so early, I was a freshman in college at 16. Uh, in my mind, I was very convinced that I was going to go to law school, uh, but in the process, my parents got divorced, and that kind of went, change plan. Accounting is really easy for me. Let's do accounting. But then when I started at uh, a CPA firm, I was like, oh my god, I can't do this for the rest of my life. There's just no way. I'm too much of a people person. So at the time, I was already exercising and already involved in the fitness arena. And I found out about something called fitness competitions. So I went ahead and started uh, preparing for my first fitness competition, and I actually won. So I was like a New York State champion uh, for fitness, what was called Fitness America, and I then went to go compete in California, in Redondo Beach. So I was like, okay, this is very familiar, and I started to learn about, they were like, oh, there's this certification uh, happening next week in New York. You should definitely take it. I was like, oh, okay. So. I ended up going to the certification, and because I was already in the accounting field, uh, just having a business background and just being a bit more professional, the people that were hosting the event were like, wow, you'd be really good to do, be a manager. I was like, okay, I haven't even passed the test yet. So before I knew it, I was uh, managing, I actually took leave of absence. Uh, I was like, I cannot go back to accounting. I'm done. Uh, so I took a leave of absence, and I started working uh, first as a nutritionist, and that was it. I was sold, and then it's been ongoing education year after year. At some point, I was then uh, one of the first uh, facilitators uh, nationally and internationally for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. So, like for instance, if you ever go to a gym and you see something called a foam roller, I'm probably one of the first 20 people in the country to teach that. Mm -hmm. So most people don't realize how long I've been in the industry and also come 
like that's why like traditional Islam was so easy for me. Like Senate is not chain of narration, getting your information from the teacher to the teacher. I took from like the equivalent of the Imam Zaids and Sheikh Hamza of the fitness and movement industry. <laughs> so go figure that. <laughs> That's amazing. And you know, it's funny, like uh, on the show we've had, you know, Rehan Dalali who's involved in, you know, uh, again, fitness trainer, personal nutritionist to Hollywood stars and celebrities as well as sports athletes. Um, but I guess picking up on a conversation that, you, you know, when we first, when, when you first began in terms of something lacking in your life and what sort of, what was that sort of, uh, I guess that, that inertia that set in that, that, that compelled you to explore other uh, religious possibilities beyond Catholicism? And what was it maybe that drove you to Islam in particular? Well, I mean, growing up in New York, I mean, I grew up in the home and origins of hip-hop. So there were always Muslims around, everywhere. Right. I've always been around Muslims. Right. It, there wasn't ever an inclination to, to really seek out, but I went to a friend's wedding in 2009, because my 10th my anniversary is coming up in June, and it was let's just say March of 2009, and I went to a friend's wedding at a Catholic church, and uh, something just struck me, like, this seems so robotic. Everybody can't possibly be going up to get the what's called the Eucharist, because you're supposed to go for confession. And I said, this just seems so fake. So when we came out, I said, you know what, I just can't be Catholic anymore. I'm just so over this. Just something just didn't feel sincere and transparent. It just didn't feel right anymore. What I did know is I didn't want to be Jewish because I'd always been working in different centers around New York, and I knew they just didn't want to let you be Jewish. You had to get married. You had to go to classes for umpteen years. I was like, so I knew I didn't want to go that route, but I knew I wanted to stay within the Abrahamic faiths. But I didn't know how do you become Muslim. So I said, okay, Google, how do you become Muslim? I was like, that's it? Just say that? Yeah. Where's all the, you know, requirements? Right. So I called up my friends, um, uh, Egyptian American family. I was like, uh, thinking about taking my shahada. Oh, and they were like, okay, we're gonna go to the masjid, get you all these books, get your Quran, every translation, Spanish, English, Arabic. I was like, I'm not gonna read anything. <laughs> I mean, it's just not going to happen. Right. So, it was more but professional. Kind of it was purely spiritual. Yeah. Uh, so I said, okay, in my mind, I didn't know what intentions or Ania was. I said, okay, I want to be Muslim. That's the choleric in me. I want to be Muslim <laughs> by Ramadan because I want to fast. So I didn't know how it was going to happen. Again, I didn't read a book. I didn't anything. And now we're getting close to Ramadan. I was like, I had to do this. So I was coming back from a trip uh, from LA, and I was going to my car, and again, I didn't know what Hushu was, or like in hand, or anything. All of a sudden, it was like Allah went, it's in my heart. I was like, okay, I'm ready to take my shahada. Nothing, it just was as if the information was already there. So I called my friends up again, and they were like, okay, la 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 <laughs> So they were like, okay, we're gonna go to the masjid on Friday, Juma, blah, 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 we're gonna meet at this time, but they were obviously an hour of standard time, and somehow we didn't make it. But I was like, they told me, you don't need to do it in a masjid. So in front of 
Allah, my computer screen with the angels present. I took my shahada by myself, and then it was that was where my journey began. Like that you had that moment of sort of epiphany and it was like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna do this now and that's it. So, yes. Um, what was the sort of, I guess, the leeway between like taking your shot and then having to trial by fire Ramadan? Oh, well, let's talk about that. Sure. So as a nutritionist, right. I was like, okay, fasting. I know fasting, juice fasting. What do you mean? No one told me what kind of fast. Only fast I knew was a nutritionist was juice fasting. So my, I still didn't even know how to pray or anything. I mean, I had just gone the week before to Miami. I was like, okay, I got one week, all right. So now it's Ramadan. First, first thing in the morning, I went, uh, I had clients in the West Village, so I went to the juice spot, got green juice, because I thought that was what you meant by fasting. And I called my friends, I'm like, listen, I need to learn how to pray, it's Ramadan. They're like, okay, come over. So my friend Ahmed and his sister Fatma, we printed out, because there was no books for converts, at least I didn't know there was. We printed out all the papers. I like had a stack of papers every step by step. And that's how I started to learn. And they were like, okay, wait, are you fasting? I was like, yeah, I just had a green juice. They were like, that's not fasting. I was like, what do you mean? It's the kind of fast I knew, you didn't tell me. And then I didn't even know that it was a, Sohoor time. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a Tarawee. I didn't know there was a Sohoor time. I didn't know there was times of prayers. So that was like winging it a little bit. And the funniest thing was, and then it was time to go to my first Iftar. So uh, another friend, uh, they're Syrian-American, and they invited me. I was like, oh my God, Kenny, his mother wears hijab. I gotta go in hijab. Because I don't want to like disrespect the family. So my friend takes me to get a scarf, and then at the time, there definitely were any YouTube tutorials, but being the fashionista, I had to watch every tutorial that was possibly available, that I did my hijab, that everybody was like, oh my God, how'd you learn how to do that? <laughs> YouTube. So I get there, I'm all excited. Well, first of all, before I left my house, I was like, oh my God, I gotta go outside now. My whole building is Republican, and they're definitely not Muslim friendly. And my heart was like this. I looked out the people. I live in an apartment that's New York living. I'm like, okay, I gotta get from my house to the car, and it's two blocks away. Okay. Okay, I got this. I didn't know to say Bismillah, but. And SubhanAllah, didn't say SubhanAllah. No one saw me, so I like went stealth mode into my car. I got to the guitar. I get in. Nobody has on hijab. I was like, what's going on? I go to Kenny, which I then find out his name is really Kusay. I was like, I thought your name was Kenny. Who's Kusay? I said, why is your mother not wearing hijab? He was like, stupid, she's home. I was like, oh, okay, basically. Um, so after Ramadan, I was like, okay, I really need to learn what to do. This is just, Obviously, I'm not being taught properly. I come from a very methodical way of learning. Right. I need to so go back to Google, new Muslim program, and there comes the Mecca Center. Alhamdulillah. So I go to new Muslim program, I sign up for the new Muslim program, I walk in in my gym clothes, and then everyone introduces themselves, and my teacher, Allah Yudhamu, says, 
Brooklyn, where are you going dressed like that? I was like, oh, I just came from the gym. So, alhamdulillah, basically the school I ended up in, boom, landed right into traditional Islam, Shafi school, all my teachers were Shafi, and then like two years later, my first maulid was with Habib Omar bin Habib. And I was serving in the school, so I met him, and that was it from there. Tell us a little bit about Mecca Center. Okay, well Mecca Center, actually Imam Zaid is on the, on the board and has been an advisor of Mecca Center since its inception. It's been there, it's, it's uh, about 10 or 11 years old now, and it was founded with the intention to serve the greater new Muslim community as well as those who might have been born to the faith, but maybe their parents in practice, so we call them born birds. So we have converts and the born birds. And basically every teacher that came to Mecca Center had Senate and Isnat, chain of narration, going from a scholar to a scholar to a scholar back to the Prophet I mean, within my first year of being Muslim, we were covering the books of Imam Haddad and Imam Ghazali. So it was, we really hit it. at the right spot at the yeah, right time. Yeah. yeah, and it was a no-brainer for me because that's the structure type of environment that I came from, especially in the movement world. So, alhamdulillah, I mean, like I said, I was barely even Muslim two years and Habib Umar came. I mean, we had Sheikh Samuel Nas. I mean, I was like, we were called like baby Muslims. Like, oh, we're baby Muslims. And we just soaked everything up, you know, and it was amazing. And then I started, then it was like, okay, I need to learn more. Then I finally, um, I took a trip to uh, Canada to go to my first RAS in 2014. And then that's when I first saw Habib Ali at Jiffy. And that was, I mean, I was like, okay. And of course, me being the student, everybody knows if they know me from RIS, I was front row, first seat for four years. Like, and if anybody knows the massive rush, and we'd be downstairs at like right after Fajr, like soldiers to get to that front row. And I mean, it was like for four years hilarious. And then I was like, okay, I need to start learning more. So I started to go to Turkey, then I started to travel more, and then I got to go on Sacred Caravan, which she comes in 2014 and 15. And that was really my turning point into really delving greater into prophetic nutrition, because it was an easy marriage from holistic nutrition, and also just as I was a Muslim, every Ramadan and throughout the year, I would just observe there was a disconnect between what I was reading in the Shamayat Atigmadi and also just in what I was reading about the Prophet So I, I just started to see, I'm like, wait, why is everyone eating so much? Why is there so much meat? Why isn't there this? But the Prophet made that. And really, as a nutritionist, many of the foods from the prophetic tradition are things that we've implemented with patients and clients as long as I can remember because these foods are healing. For example, like beets. If someone is, let's just say, constipated or anemic, we always recommended beets so, or dates or different things. So it was just really, that door just continued to open and then really Sheikh Hamza is the one that pushed me and said, this is your manna. Mm. You need to do this. 
Maybe he didn't say it like that, but it felt like that. Right. <laughs> it's supposed to be we're in the middle of Medina. Right. I mean, you can't think of a better calling, right? Mm. And not only in terms of your own background, but um, like you said, making, like, just observationally seeing that people, there was a disconnect between what you saw as prophetic practices with regards to diet, probably even exercise, like uh -huh. fitness, yeah. um, you know, being physically active, and then uh -huh. what you observed Muslims doing, which right. you did observe that disconnect. Um, why do you think that is the case? I mean, because I know food and uh, activities around food is such an integral part of our community, and that's not always a bad thing, but, you know, it can lead to sort of a, you know, consumption right. and so on. Right. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think for one, like for, for instance, with just people having the skill set and the background and experience in nutrition and in movement, um, just with my skill set or the different layers of education that I have, there aren't any Muslims that have certain education. Uh, it's just not areas or fields. Uh, a field of interest that has been a focus for the Muslim community. And alhamdulillah, in the past five years, you are seeing, uh, let's just say, I'm going to speak for the sister side, you are seeing more women engaging in the beginnings of a movement or fitness or nutrition career. But being in the industry 25 years, with that comes layers of education and there just wasn't anyone Muslim with that background. Okay. So it was like Allah just went, right. okay, we're gonna Islamify this <laughs> and bring it to the community. Now as for why it's so prevalent, I really think that lack of resources, lack of knowledge in these fields or in the emphasis maybe in Sunday schools uh, about the Sira and the Shamay, and really emphasizing that, it's like anything else, there's been such a emphasis on the outward maybe in a lot of places. That's what I was going to say. I, mean, right. I think one of, you know, to borrow an expression from, um, from fitness or health, you know, anemic, one of the things that I find has been unfortunately anemic in terms of research and study within traditional Islam or even, you know, with regards to an examination or of our, or a curating of our tradition is this idea of focusing on fitness and nutrition and stuff. I mean, we have such a rich heritage of law, philosophy, mm -hmm. theology, but I mean, this was something that the Prophet spoke of time and time again, yeah. and the Quran certainly addresses, mm -hmm. yet, you know, it's been almost really anemic in terms of real development. 100%. I mean, when you look at what unit of prayer are 650 plus muscles and every major joint, ankle, knee, hip, shoulder, head, neck, and spine are involved in one unit of prayer. And approximately one quarter of the Shamayi, the characteristics of the Prophet are related to food, drink, how he fasted, what he broke his fast with, and the things he recommended. So that's a real huge portion. So that means that in general, the I think the emphasis on learning about the Prophet is something that we need to revive. And it was something that it just it was as if that information was already in me. Yeah. I can't really say, it wasn't like I actually thought about doing this. It just started to, Allah just started to open, 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 and it just put the scholars, I mean, for my short time of being Muslim, I've sat at the feet of many of our senior scholars, 
and taken from them, traveled with them. I've been to Mecca Medina now four times. I've done Hajj. So I think all of that and that seeding, I mean, really, I don't think I tasted my faith until I had my forehead down in the Hawda in 2014 in the presence of the beloved Sallallahu That is tasting my faith. And that really was the turning point to really delve further into the revival of prophetic nutrition and the emphasis on bringing people and hearts together. Because the Prophet didn't come, he wasn't a doctor, but he was a doctor of the hearts, a healer of the hearts, and bringing hearts together. And that's really what we learned from our teachers, especially even Sidi Usted, Usama Kanan, uh, may Allah preserve him and grant him full shifa and afia. That's what we learned from our teachers, whether it be Dr. Umar, whether it be Sheikh Hamza, whether it be Imam Zaid, whether it be uh, Habib Umar bin Hafid, and, and, and all of the Habib and many other of the scholars. It's bringing the hearts together, and then came the serving people. So now I travel to four or five different countries serving people, uh, Muslim communities uh, around the Caribbean and South America, and alhamdulillah, uh, we have in collaboration with Sandala and Dr. Asad Tarsin, uh, we have translated his book, Being Muslim, into Spanish, and now just recently in Portuguese, we were just in Brazil three weeks ago to launch the book. So it's all really about purifying one's heart, bringing hearts together, and helping people come to Allah and the Prophet Sallallahu What else is important? Um, so I guess, I mean, you know, seeing that uh, for, I, I think a lot of the listeners this episode will probably drop right before Ramadan or maybe even right at the beginning of Ramadan. So, you know, you're talking about prophetic uh, nutrition. Um, I, I guess kind of maybe using that as a way to, uh, and we'll get into like maybe some advice for Ramadan, but um, maybe kind of highlight for those who listen, you know, we're listening, you know, what prophetic nutrition means to you and, and what, what were sort of the sort of broad salient features of the prophetic nutrition. Mm -hmm. The essence of prophetic nutrition is love of the Prophet yes. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to know him. And he and everything he recommended is healing. And if you suffer from stress, anxiety, panic, depression, connect to the Prophet not negating, that there is, if there's a need for mental health care, et cetera, et cetera, but <coughs> that's it. Mm. That healing. Healing. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, and you know, <coughs> it's remarkable when you know you talk about healing. Um, you know, in the context, and you you know you, you mentioned one unit of prayer. Uh, you know, the inter the uh, inseparability between one's heart. Or, or spiritual uh, essence, uh, one's physical body, and then one's you know intellectual or <coughs> mental acuity. So you know, seeing the human being in totality, right? And that's something that we also see, like you know, you know in the seerah of the prophets, right? so, as seeing human beings as being that composite of a mind, body, and soul, and then engaging the human being on all levels and capacities, right? And so certainly that the, the body, one's physical sense yes. or, or essence has a right on you and has certain uh, obligations that one must fulfill. Yes. That, right? 
right? So that's certainly something we learn from this year. Of course, and first and foremost, our Lord God is in a manner between us and Allah. Mm. So he gave us this body, we have to return it to him in the same condition he gave it to us. I mean, just something that's interesting, what breaks my heart is uh, seeing when someone's prayer has been removed from them because they cannot put their seven limbs on the ground, that mm. they have to sit uh, in a chair. And that's a removal, whether it be that by the person's life choices, they do, their health has degraded to the point that they cannot pray with seven limbs on the ground, or something has happened to them, a trial or tribulation that Allah has placed in their life. However, uh, I travel to a part of Mexico called Chiapas, and the Muslims there have been Muslim more or less since 1996. Uh, they don't speak Spanish, they speak a Mayan dialect called Sotzil, and even the most, the elders in their 90s, no one, I, I've never seen anyone pray in a chair in Chiapas or in Cuba. What do you attribute that to? Their lifestyle. lifestyle. Mm. They don't have the luxuries mm. and the dunya that we have. I mean... And by lifestyle, I mean, I'm assuming, and, and you mentioned dunya, Cars, computers, sedentary lifestyle, and just lavish. Mm. I mean, everything that, even the poorest person here yeah. is rich compared to the people right. in certain countries right. that hold to the rope of Allah by pure iman. Mm. They don't have anything. They don't ask for anything. They don't look for anything. They just want to worship. So what's our real purpose? is to worship Allah. So if in that we need to maintain our health, it's something that we need to consider. And I think, you know, the mix of cultures and just the environment and how, you know, different people have, say, come to the country and just what has been the emphasis, um, health and nutrition and wellness just maybe wasn't. But I see it starting to turn around, especially somewhat on social media, for example. But I think it's important, again, because for me, anything that reminds me of the dunya, I run the other way. I've been there. That's living Jahannam on Earth. There's nothing attractive. I've been there, done that, seen it all. So everything that everybody's trying to skate so close to, I run, like, because there's nothing appealing about it. But there needs to still be a presence on social media of bringing people to Allah and the Prophet but in a way that's in a language that they understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that uh, is lacking, but we're trying, we're striving. I mean, I would tell anybody, if you're struggling with your Iman, pick up, get on a plane, go to Cuba, serve people, you'll come back a new person. Inshallah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so much to, 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 to that I want to talk to you or with you about um, the, um, you know, the, you, like you talked about the like, you know, unfortunately, modern life in America. Sorry, I went a little. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, because I, I think that, you know the idea of prophetic nutrition and the value there, and and, and I, I really want you to kind of 
uh, you know, share your expertise in that in that arena. So I just want you to kind of talk about that certainly. But um, you, you you touched on sedentary lifestyles, and I mean, almost with every new technological advance that comes out, I find that we are becoming more and more sedentary. Right? I mean, now literally with like streaming services and so on, you don't have to even get up and make the journey to the TV anymore to change the channel or whatever. Everything is literally push button and at your fingertips. So. How do you swim against the stream, as it were? Like, how do you swim against that tendency that we have to make us more and more just sedentary? I mean, that's just the name of the game now. It's all about convenience, right? And that's what people pay premium money for. Okay, because we're in California, I'm going to speak to the people of the Bay. <laughs> what I started my day today with is my annual ritual, and I did Mission Peak. Nice. You do Mission Peak once a week. Your street. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. No, so yeah. uh, I think that. It's a legit hike. Yeah, it's a legit hike. It's my annual ritual. Nice. I mean, I'm from the East Coast. I'm like, oh my God, a cow, a turkey. Oh my God. You know, I mean, there was a line of tourists trying to take a picture at the top of the peak. I was like, okay, I've done it already. I don't need to. Um, I think that the key, most important thing. If I were to recommend any type of movement to anyone, and I, I'm, I'm steering back towards calling it movement versus exercise because the idea that people have of exercise means like, uh, 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 gym, uh, two hours, uh. and you know what? That doesn't work for everyone. That's right. That's in, in, in many, for different, for many different reasons, time, logistics, it's just not appealing, and it may not even work for their type of personality and temperament. It just is. It's not for everyone. Walking, every part of your body is involved with walking. So flexibility and walking is, if I were gonna say to someone, you have an exercise over here and suddenly, okay, in Ramadan, you wanna be gung-ho and start your program, not the time to start your program, but I'm not gonna detour you. Walk, it will help with circulation, digestion, and stimulate those nice hormones, feel better, your body just feels refreshed, get outside. You guys are here in the Bay. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. I'm like, most of my friends, they can go in their backyard. I'm like, there's a trail in your backyard? Man, I have to drive almost an hour. I mean, Central Park is park, but like a real trail, I have to go about an hour. I mean, you guys are so blessed here. It's not even, I mean, mashallah, really, get into nature, connect with nature, connect with the lost creation, so that, you know, it's hard to counter all of the sedentary parts of our lifestyle. Okay. Obviously, if you're at a desk for eight to 10 hours, or in school, or behind a computer, or behind a phone, you need to at least move. And if movement is gonna be walking, we can start there. The rest can come. The same thing when someone takes their shahada. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to fast. They don't know anything from anything. We don't tell people they need all these requirements to take shahada. We want you to take shahada so no matter what, you can die in la ilaha illallah. The rest will come. It's the same thing with the body and with movement and with nutrition. It's We need to, as Dr. Omar would say, change the cognitive frames and really simplify what people are so fearful of. Right. 
I always find like, you know, it's, like you mentioned going to the gym or whatever, I mean, or with any exercise or physical activity, it's often the, the kind of dread associated with just having to start it. But once you start it, once you're doing it, you know, it's a cinch. But it's just that getting over that hurdle, mental in those cases, just, oh, I gotta do, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get on, I gotta get on the treadmill, or I gotta get on the trail, or whatever may be the case. Um, it's that mental sort of hurdle that you have to overcome. And because we are bombarded right. by these images of perfection that's not really perfection, because it's artificial perfection, and it's, you know, what other things are causing, say, like these images of people that we think look perfect, but it's probably so toxic. If you knew what it took to look like that, you'd run the other way. The main thing is, make the intentions to get fit for the sake of Allah. Let it be a worship, let it be a virtuous deed. And do what is consistent, even if it's little, because that's what's the most rewardable to Allah. Do what is consistent, even if it's little. And even if you commit to 10, 15 minutes, no one will ever tell you, okay, work out 10, 15 minutes, or do something for 10, 15 minutes. It's always gonna be an hour, an hour and a half. Like there's no, it, it's just like from zero to 60, but most people can't do that. It will not be realistic for their lifestyles. It has to be realistic. Right. I mean, and it's, and it's just the perpetual cycle that people are put in to these yo-yo, yo-yo cycles because they're succumbing to all the fad diets, all the products, all the like, the quick magic pill, the quick fix, and the reality is, the path to Allah, there's no pill for the quick fix. So with your body, same thing. it's the same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Keep it simple. Keeping it simple, like you said, gradual, and like you said, I mean, a really important point is, you know, when we talk about, like where I was talking about those mental hurdles mm -hmm. uh, that, that people often have, it, it's, it's don't let the, or don't let the perfect get in the way of the good, right? 100%. Right, it's like, we, we, we want to, we, yeah, we want to ideally spend an hour in the gym, okay? Paralysis by analysis. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's a new one. Paralysis by analysis, I like that. Um, yeah, and so we overthink it, and so it's like, you know what, 10, 15 minutes is a start. It's something. Don't let, you know, the hurdle of wanting to do an, an hour uh, necessarily stop you from doing anything. Yeah, like I recommended to a few sisters that really, it just was like, I can't do it consistently. I said, listen, five minutes after each prayer, that's it. Just do, I would give, okay, here, do like two or three moments right after each prayer. You pray five times a day. The sajada, the prayer mat, it's good enough. That works as a mat. Do two or three movements, done. And then do that over five prayers, there you have 20 minutes of movement. It doesn't have to be right. all in one time frame. It's cumulative. The body's not going to say, oh, oh, you only did 10 minutes. Sorry, it didn't count. I mean, it's what you do throughout a 24-hour period. Got it. Right. The body has its natural cycle. Mm -hmm. So moving past, like, you know, overcoming the sedentary tendencies that we have in modern life, um, you know, bringing it back to nutrition then, um, you know, and you mentioned fat diets, right? I mean, Right now, like the latest trend could be, I don't know, um, what was it, uh, intermittent, intermittent fasting? Haram. Sorry? Haram. Uh, what? Sorry. 
I'm, I'm oh, not a fan. Yeah. Oh, fat diet, fine, fat diet. Oh, you know what? I mean, you're going to pick on intermittent fasting. I mean, just to say, listen, fast for the sake of Allah. Any other fasting is not going to help you in the grave. Right. So, so then what do you say to people? So what do you say, uh, like, in terms of then diet, like focusing on the right kind of diet? Um, like you talked about meat, that was something you touched on. Yeah. I'm assuming there that you found something in the prophetic tradition yes. where the consumption of meat. And yes. Kind of, yeah. So if we had to classify the type of diet that the Prophet had, he was a partial vegetarian. So meat was a luxury. Mm. It was as if he, if he was visiting someone's home, there was meat. Otherwise, there was not going to be any meat at his house. Based from the few Hakims that I have studied with, and by consensus, okay, if you're gonna eat meat, at least keep it to one time a day. Um, and if you can keep it to one time a day, meaning at one meal only, okay, then if you can reduce it back to two to three times per week, alhamdulillah. And definitely, if it's not grass-fed, you are just ingesting so many chemicals, antibiotics, steroids, that it's just so toxic to your body. And if you want to have halal, it's got to be tired too. One doesn't go without the other. So you need both. So at this point, quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. Quality over quantity. And for those you know, who listen, you know, we've had uh, yeah, Imam Dawood Yassin on the show, you know, hashtag get your own halal. So, you know, um, he, he eats only that meat that he's able to hunt himself and, you know, clean and purify. So there's that. And then, you know, he, he's focused on this idea of, you know, the the uh, the, um, the imperative in the Quran about diet or about meat in particular is not only that it qualifies as halal, which tends to be this sort of overwhelming focus. Mm -hmm of everything because it's legal or you know and, and our obsession with law but it's also the qualitative uh, virtue of being fayyab like you said pure as well as being halal and that's often forgotten in this conversation yeah the meat may qualify based on the guidelines of sharia to be slaughtered in a proper way and that it's halal but is it fayyab right and like you said the hormones um, just the, and then, you know, something you didn't touch on, but I know something that I know you would value is also how are the, the, the ethical treatment of the animals. 100%. Right, and, and, and what that does to an animal as it's being, you know, slaughtered, and, and just that kind of trauma, um, you're, you're, you're consuming that, right? Mm -hmm. And the energy is neither created nor destroyed. Yes, no. or even, this, even just eating out, mm -hmm. the state of the person cooking your food, Many of our scholars, senior scholars, will not just eat at the hands of anyone, let alone at a restaurant, because do we know the state of the person, the iman of the person, do they pray five times a day? We don't know, I mean, were they even in wudu? Because when we pray, rather when we cook, we want to cook with barakah. Even if it's a little bit of food with barakah, make wudu before you're going to cook. Make uh, a dua, make, make your intentions, our actions are by intentions and then recite some salawat, recite some Quran, some dhikr while you're cooking. Something so simple so that that baraka transfers the state to the food. So there's so many variables, but we have to, you know, strive little by little, striving like, oh, okay, just a little bit more. 
And like you said, I mean, you know, going back to it's the same idea of like modern convenience is all about time efficiency. So it's like forget about you know farm to plate. It's 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 now like grocery store to plate, and how can we minimize the amount of time it takes for me to be able to even prepare a meal again because people's schedules are so limited, right? So. But you're here in the Bay. You guys really have. I mean, listen, raw milk is legal. It's illegal in New York. Really? Yes. Normally, I come here. I hate that. So uh, probably, like, the health codes. My wow. dear host has probably heard this story all week. The first thing I usually do when I get off the plane, but I had to go speak at Zaytuna, so I didn't do what I normally do, is run to Sprouts or Whole Foods and run to the dairy section and grab a half gallon of raw milk so I could just spend four days going like this with it. Go, 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 because it's legal. <laughs> It's contraband. There's a black market of raw dairy in New York. Take some back. Yeah, well, they'll like probably arrest me at security. That's right. So, please qualify though. What do you mean when you say raw milk? Not pasteurized. And what are the benefits for that? It has all its enzymes. The only reason people have lactose intolerant issues is they've been pumped with pasteurized milk and dairy it's probably the entire of, life and also the chemicals and processed foods mm-hmm. since it, from a very young age i mean i see nothing wrong but i mean i see parents giving table food to children when their digestive systems really haven't fully developed they're not going to be able to digest it so they will develop a food allergy mm-hmm. so it comes back to what are we giving even our children, you know, especially under the age of two, their digestive systems really aren't fully developed. So, so raw, unpasteurized milk. Now, is there a, prep, is there a preparation that one, one has to do? To no, no. Here in California, you buy it right off the shelf. And, and it has the cream mixed in and everything. Oh, that's wonderful. And if, if you haven't, you know, you can't take that big step, you have incredible local grass-fed, non-homogenized milk that the cream is at the top as well. So for those who are still like, oh, but everybody, more people die by the interaction of different medications than they will ever have anything happen because of raw milk. (laughs) (laughs) So why is it illegal in in your lobbyists? The dairy industry, I'm sure they have very powerful. Big milk. Yeah. Big milk. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, so I, I guess then, uh, you know, to as we kind of uh, wrap up the show, um, you know, with, with Ramadan approaching, then what are some advice or, or, or step or tips that you can give for people in terms of probably good foods to focus on, both at the time of suhoor as well as the time of breaking the fast at bar, and then also. Um, you know, overcoming the dehydration, especially in these long, hot days. We'll take it straight to the prophetic tradition. At Sahod, number one prophetic-inspired food to have is watermelon. It's very hydrating, and dehydration is an issue for so many people. Stick to the very hydrating fruits. Um, also, the prophetic drink, which is well, how I make the prophetic drink is seven ajwa dates soaked overnight. And why the seven ajwa dates? Because the person that eats seven ajwa dates first thing in the morning is protected from any evil. So we're getting like a little more extra sunnah there. And if you have zamzam water, 
a splash of zamzam again. Let's just layer those sunnas. That healing is just, you know, there's just not enough to go around, so why not? Yeah. Um, give it a try. If you ever have, if you have any challenges with distraction or waswas or anything, seven ajwa dates first thing in the morning, it's like a shield. You do not feel anything up until Monday, of course. That's the day. You allowed to soak for how long? Um, I recommend like mid asr to say support time, or if it's not Ramadan till you wake up. Uh, if it's going to be left out more than 14, 12, 14 hours, I would put it in the refrigerator. It can last for like a day or two. Then it would start to ferment. So we try to, you know, avoid. Can you get a little buzz off of it? Well, you know. Is the fermentation strong enough? I don't know. It gets a little fuzz, fizzy, fizzy. (laughs) Just making sure. Yeah. Uh, So I have that on my social media. I just, uh, I always post about it over and over. Because, you know, as the teachers say, it doesn't matter if you hear a story over and over and over again, because there's always going to be something that you take differently. So we should just say like, oh, I heard that already. Oh, I knew that already. Oh, I did that already. There's always something new that you're going to get because your state is ever changing. Uh, so the prophetic drink, uh, watermelon, any of the hydrating uh, fruits. Exactly. Even if you're reminded. Exactly, exactly. Alhamdulillah. And then in terms of hydration, a lot of people have trouble and struggle with water. So something also salt is from the prophetic tradition, not white table salt. We're going to go with the best possible salt possible that is available. Pink Himalayan salt has 84 essential minerals that the body needs. Put a pinch of pink Himalayan salt in your water. That is the healthiest hydration you can possibly have. That's a healthy Gatorade. Uh, And when I say a pinch, let's just say you have a liter, a pinch. Uh, so that helps. So it's, it's pink Himalayan salt, Zaki, not pink Rafsa. Thanks for that. As a second option, a really good sea salt, but really pink Himalayan salt. Okay. And you want to make sure you have a good product because, the, let's see, pink Himalayan salt, uh, honey, uh, olive oil, ajwadines, there's a black market for all of these things. So you really have to know what you're buying. You may not get what you think you're buying, especially, you know, you're like, oh, that's a cheap one. I mean, the reality is, unfortunately, this is what we're dealing with. So you need to know what you're buying. I was fascinated. Yeah, I was just reading something today, I think, about how maybe over 70% of the honey that you can buy at, at like, grocery stores is not, it's no. just watered down honey. It's but like, again, you're in the bay. Then there you go. Go find the beekeepers or the local farmers or the farmer's markets really support your local agriculture so that they can thrive. So these are things that are beneficial. And so with that said, uh, you can have coconut water, you can and the prophetic drink, hands down, this is gonna be my 11th Ramadan, I've not found anything more hydrating and sustaining than the prophetic drink. Again, everything from the prophetic tradition is dependent upon the degree to which you believe in the Prophet So, there's no placebo there. <laughs> no placebo, I like that. Right. Um, and then, um, what about um, 
uh, you talked about dates, hydration, um, and then I guess, you know, one of the other things that people often complain of, or, or one of the, well, one of the sort of symptoms, I should say, that one faces in Ramadan is a lack of sleep and getting that kind of, so how do you maybe overcome some of the, or for those the of us The like, Himalayan salt, what happens with whether you're dehydrated or sleep deprived, you're also not going to have the nutrients to contend with your daily activities. Right. So even if it's a caffeine withdrawal headache, I was gonna say, the headache actually comes from dehydration more than it will come from the uh, lack of caffeine. Oh, yeah. Dehydration will be like, you're, we die within three to four days if you don't have water. Right. We can live without food for over a month. So really addressing hydration and and if pink Himalayan salt is still not enough, you can also infuse your water with some cucumber slices, which is also from the prophetic tradition. It's very hydrating. Add something like if you don't like plain water, because water alone isn't always the most hydrating. Have hydrating foods. Try to avoid dry foods, because dry foods need water to digest. They might be an ideal food outside of Ramadan, but in Ramadan, dry foods will dehydrate you more. And then also as another possibility, um, you can add a good hydration powder. Like a, like let's just say when someone goes to Hajj or really Hajj, they recommend like they'll say like the noon tablets, something like that. But you wanna avoid a product that has a lot of chemicals. So that will actually help you for the person that doesn't really like to drink a lot of water. Okay. And then if tar really quick, keep it moderate. Eat more or less. I personally eat exactly the same way I eat all year in Ramadan. Obviously, minus one meal. So you, if you radically change the foods you ingest during Ramadan, you will have a greater reaction. Gas, repeating, burping, heartburn, all of that. And then finally, um, you know, um, you talked about uh, being active and, and, and you know being you know, staying physically active in Ramadan. Any recommendation tips there? walk as much as you can to help your digestion and to keep your body and circulation optimal and also keep you mobile. If you don't, if you're not familiar with how to, uh, and I don't want to use the word stretch because in my world we use mobilize. Stretching again makes people think, okay, you're going to do a split and you're going to just stick your leg out. That's from the 80s. Uh, we don't do that. As professionals, half of what you see on social media, real professionals don't do any of that. Like if you work one-on-one -on -one with a real professional, no one does any of that. Like everything you see is like for the gram, so to speak. Um, I would really emphasize flexibility, foam rolling, maybe some yoga, walk, 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 walk. And if you are somebody that resistance trains, resistance train two to three, four days. But you know, is Ramadan about workout or is it about Allah and the, the Quran? So balance. You want to maintain. You want to maintain your body tone. You want to maybe lose a little bit of weight. You just have to just stay, uh, you know, moving. Just simple movement. Nothing that has to be so complicated. Inshallah. Nice. Well, thank you so much for this really enlightening conversation. I have to be honest. I feel like a little bit like this was this entire conversation was just Pervez's passive aggressive way of sending me specifically a message. It is. It was a message received. I get it. It was a conspiracy. No more Pringles for dinner. I got it. <laughs>
but thank you so much, uh, Sister Zan, for, for uh, you are most welcome. coming and talking. Let's please give her a big hand. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you.